Hi, mijn naam is Louis Wittnik en ik ben een van de pastors bij deze kerk. Welkom bij deze podcast. Ik wil je ook welkom heten bij onze kerk. Elke keer als je in de buurt bent, namelijk in de regio Amsterdam of Almere, ga dan online en zoek op yourc3.church. En wij hebben mensen die op je wachten om je welkom te heten. Je kan daar de tijden vinden van een van de diensten in deze regio. Ik kijk ernaar uit om je te ontmoeten. Ik ga een hele bijzondere vrouw aan jullie introduceren. This is only the second time I've actually met her at our gathering. Het is pas de tweede keer dat ik haar uh, heb ontmoet. And uh, her name is Alice Chan. En ze heet Alice Chan. And she lives in Uganda. Ze woont in Uganda. And I met her with Pastor Monique at Every Woman last year in Sydney. En ik heb met haar met Pastor Monique ontmoet vorig jaar in Sydney bij de Every Woman Pastor Chris Pringles um, Every Woman Conference. Dat is de vrouwenconferentie van Pastor Chris Pringle. And Pastor Chris has had a long-term friendship and connection with Alice. En zij heeft al een hele lange uh, relatie uh, en, en een connectie met Alice. And C3, we've been supporting Alice through her work that she's been doing in Uganda, which you're about to find out. En als C3 ondersteunen we het werk wat zij doet in Oeganda, waar ze straks meer over gaat vertellen. But when I met Alice, something resonated in me too. Maar toen ik haar ontmoette, toen weer klonk iets in mij. And I just heard about her work and it and, and who she was and it it literally blew me away. En ik hoorde van haar werk en wie zij is en dat ja, dat stelde het stond me helemaal mijn wereld op. And I thought about the women that she works with in Uganda and how through war, through brutality, through pain, their minds have been their minds have had defeat and insecurity in them. En zij werkt met vrouwen wiens gedachten zoveel onzekerheid in zit door oorlog, door bruut geweld, door alles wat er met zich gebeurt. How can we as beautiful minds support this? En ik dacht, hoe kunnen what we dat we ondersteunen? Do? Wat kunnen wij doen? To help bring life and hope to women in Uganda. Om leven en hoop te brengen naar de vrouwen in Uganda. And, and so after Alice has spoken, we're actually going to do a missions offering specifically for something that she's doing. Dus nadat zij heeft gesproken, zullen we ook een offer ophalen voor de zending voor wat zij so doet. So we have a woman of stature and of faith in the room. So I want us to stand. No, we're not standing yet. No, nee, we're not standing. Nee, we gaan niet staan. <laughs> we're going to watch a video. Maar we gaan eerst een video zien. That has come out of the presence conference in Sydney. The ook tijdens presence in Sydney, de conferentie. Which will give you a clearer idea of what this is all about and who Alice is. Een beeld over wie zij is en waar dit over gaat. Let's watch the screen. Laten we naar het scherm kijken. The war in northern Uganda between the LRA and Ugandan government hadn't even finished the first time that Pastor Chris went north to Padea. Uh, when she arrived, she met with Alice Achan, and Alice had been working there since 2002. Boys and girls who'd been abducted by the LRA were returning in large numbers to Padia District. Christian Counseling Fellowship, CCF, started with Alice just collecting girls under a tree. They would sit there and she would just help them deal with their trauma. She had social work training and she was able to just walk with them from day to day and help them to deal with what they had seen and experienced when they were abducted. She was establishing a school where the babies could live with their mothers, which was unheard of, but she was also thinking about livelihood and how she could provide avenues for these girls. She had plans for a guest house, and it wasn't just a guest house so people could stay, it was a guest house where the girls could learn about hospitality so that they would have a path out of the village or even within the village and that's where C3 came on board and we became the partner in that guest house. 
The CCF Guest House was opened in 2012. Alice is an extraordinary visionary. So you ask Alice what she needs, she will always know what comes next. My dream is after completing the guest house, which is soon going to be finished, uh, my next target for fundraising will be to set up this maternity home. C3 has provided some really important scholarships for girls to go into nursing, midwifery and teaching. And when the Maternal and Child Health Centre opened in the heart of Padir in 2017, uh, some of those girls were among the midwives who opened the clinic. The issues around maternal health in northern Uganda are huge. Each woman has to provide her own birthing kit and often they can't afford those or they can't access them. C3 has supported well over a thousand birthing kits that have gone to women in, in communities in northern Uganda. C3's connection and relationship with Alice goes back to the really early days of the organisation and really it's been a catalyst for many other people to come on board. By standing with them as we are, we are partners in the transformation of the people of Northern Uganda. She hasn't even spoken yet. So uh, I want you to give Alice a warm family. We have family here. I want you to give her a really warm welcome and let's draw out of her all her story and the beautiful things that she's going to tell us. So let's stand up We're and give family, Alice a really big hand. We love you. She's, she's very tall. She's very long. She's part Dutch. She's very Netherlands. So you're going to share your story for about a half an hour. She has a half hour for her. Looking forward to hearing it so much. And we're going to add them to her. You can sit down. Thank you. Can I can sit there. Thank you well. As I always said, I'm not a pastor. Ik zeg altijd, ik ben geen voorganger. I'm not a preacher. Uh, ik ben geen spreker. So don't expect me to rock the floor like pastor. Dus uh, denk niet dat ik hetzelfde ga doen zoals uh, pastors hier doen. But I will share what the Lord has put in my heart. Maar ik zal wel delen wat de Heer op mijn hart heeft gelegd. Because it's a special mission that God has put me to accomplish in the lives of young women. Want hij heeft een bepaalde zending aan mij gegeven om te bewerkstelligen in de leven van jonge dames. My name is Alisa Chan. Ik heet Alisa Chan. I'm from northern Uganda. Ik kom uit Noord-Oeganda. Northern Uganda is bordering southern Sudan. Dat uh, ligt aan de grens met Zuid-Sudan. Which is the newest country in the world. Wat het nieuwste land is ter wereld. I was born in a family of 27 children. Ik ben geboren in een gezin met 27 kinderen. I was born in the home of a, a local chief in Africa. Uh, in, uh, in het huis van een uh, lokaal stamhoofd in Afrika. My father had five women. Mijn vader had vijf vrouwen. How many of us have a root in Africa, originally? En wie heeft er een origine liggen in Afrika? So you know what I'm dus speaking dan weet about. je waar ik het over heb. So my father had five women. Dus mijn vader had vijf vrouwen. And my mother was the youngest. En mijn moeder was de jongste daarvan. And I'm the second last born. En ik ben de ene laatste geborene. My youngest brother. He works here in The Hague. Mijn jongste broer, hij werkt hier in Den Haag. Uh, with the International Criminal Court. Bij de ICC. I, I had 15 sisters. Ik had 15 zussen. 
And all of them are very beautiful, well brought up. Hele mooie vrouwen, goed opgevoed. All of them got married Zijn before the age of 18. Voordat ze 18 waren. Because my father being a chief, everybody wanted to marry in his family. Omdat mijn vader stamhoofd was, wilde iedereen daar eigenlijk introuwen. And they had to pay a lot of cows from 15 to 20 cows. En ze moesten veel koeien betalen, zo'n so 15 tot 20 koeien. And my father was the wealth, very wealthy in the village. Well, my father um, had it heel goed in het dorp, was heel welvaardig. But he gained his wealth at the expense of his daughters. Maar dat kwam wel ten koste van zijn dochters. Because his daughters were not able to go to school. Want zij mochten niet naar school. They became housewives. Ze werden huisvrouwen. And they had children. They produced beautiful children. Ze, er kwamen prachtige kinderen uit. And that was very important in African culture and foundation. En dat is heel belangrijk in de Afrikaanse cultuur. But for me, maar voor mij, being the youngest, de jongste, my brothers could not allow that to happen to me. Wilden mijn broers niet dat dat ook to, met mij gebeurde? And they said no. En zeiden nee. She's not going to get married at a younger age. Ze gaat niet zo jong trouwen. She must go to school. Ze moet naar school gaan. So my brothers took me away from the village. Dus mijn broers namen mij mee weg uit dat dorp. And took me far away to the city center. Uh, en naar het stadcentrum. And I was able to study. En daar kon ik naar school gaan. But before that, maar daarvoor, before I could even complete my third year in primary school, voordat ik überhaupt mijn derde jaar op de basisschool af had, war broke into my country. Brak de oorlog uit in mijn land. In the northern part of Uganda. In het noordelijke deel van Oeganda. So the old school was shattered down. Dus het was het ging allemaal stuk. So het werd allemaal stilgezet. So there was no school. Dus er was geen school. Girls were sent back home. De meiden werden weer teruggestuurd naar huis. The parents because there was war, parents had lost control over their own children. Dus de ouders waren de controle kwijt over hun kinderen door de oorlog. The war targeted many young girls. En de oorlog uh, die targette juist ook jonge meisjes. So many young girls were taken to be the wives of the fighting commanders. Dus veel meisjes werden weggenomen om de vrouwen te worden van de van de vechtende partijen. Those who survived and remained in their villages. Zij die overleefden en achterbleven in de dorpen. Were married hope because when you are pregnant you could not be taken to be the wives of the commanders. Werden vermoord want als jij zwanger was kon je niet meegenomen worden om een uh, een vrouw van aanvoerder te worden. So many young girls were forced into early marriages against their will. Dus uh, opnieuw werden kinderen gedwongen om op, uh, tegen hun wil in uh, op jonge leeftijd te trouwen. So we find the girl at 13 and 14 she's already pregnant. Dus we hebben het over meiden van 13, 14 die al zwanger zijn. Because she was avoiding to be abducted to be taken to be the wives of a commander in the rebels camp. Want op die manier konden ze voorkomen dat ze meegenomen werden om de vrouw te worden van aanvoerders van de rebellenkampen van de legers. So life in my village became a mess. Dus het leven in, het, in mijn dorp werd een zooitje. Parents could not control, could not provide protection for their own children. Uh, de ouders konden hun kinderen niet beschermen. The rebels group became very strong and powerful. De rebellengroep werd steeds sterker en krachtiger. The, the state government could not take control over uh, the rebels. Want de overheid had geen controle over de rebellen. Because they could come and fight in the country, abduct children and cross into southern Sudan. Want wat ze deden, ze kwamen in het land, vechten, ze uh, stilden kinderen en namen ze over de grens mee naar Zuid-Sudan. So after abducting children, they would 
keep the children there far away in the wilderness. Dus ze kidnapten de kinderen en hielden ze heel ver weg in de wildernis. And exploit them and abuse them as they can. En misbruikten ze ze veel als ze konden. And this was happening almost for 10 years. Dit gebeurde bijna zo'n 10 jaar. So we are talking about a decade that the life in the community were ruined. Dus daar hebben we het over zoveel impact over de gemeenschap waar we in leefden. I survived abduction. Ik overleefde een kidnapping. But I witnessed brutality. Maar ik zag wel de brutaliteit wat gebeurde. I witnessed my uh, age mates abducted. Ik was getuige van de ontvoering van leeftijdsgenoten. I witnessed many young girls who got married forcefully by, by their parents so that they are protected from abduction. Ik zag veel jonge meiden die gedwongen werden om te trouwen. I've witnessed so many of my friends who are killed in crossfire. Ik zag heel veel van mijn vrienden gedood worden in spervuur. I, I had to spend days and weeks hiding from the rebels. Ik moest dagen en weken me verstoppen voor de rebellen. On my own. In mijn eentje. At one point we were, we were almost crushed by the bombs. En op een gegeven moment uh, werden we bijna uh, verbogen. We were hiding in the bush. Oh, door de andere waren we bijna gezien door mensen die ook aan het verstoppen waren in de bosjes. And the rebel was very close to us. En de rebel was heel dicht bij ons. So the jet fighter helicopter was following the rebels. Dus de, de gevechtsvliegtuigen die volgden de rebellen. So they were throwing bombs and uh, weapons everywhere. Dus zij lieten bommen vallen en, en gebruikten hun wapens overal. Because the rebels were close to civilian hiding places. Want de rebellen die waren heel dichtbij waar de burgers zich verstopten. I almost had my uh, left foot amputated. Mijn linkervoet werd bijna geamputeerd. Because there was no hospital functioning. Omdat er geen uh, ziekenhuis was die het deed. But by God's grace I was saved. Maar door Gods genade ben ik gered. God spared my life. God heeft mijn leven gespaard. So as a child I grew up seeing all this brutality. Dus als kind maakte ik al die vreedheden mee. During conflict. De, gedurende conflict. But before conflict I grew up in the African setting. In African culture, where I saw my sisters, where I saw my mothers and fellow women in the community suffered social injustices because of our African cultural practices. Maar ook voor dat conflict zag ik al mijn mijn zussen en mijn mijn moeder en andere jonge vrouwen die uh, leden onder de Afrikaanse cultuur en de onrechtvaardigheid die daarin zat jegens vrouwen. One particular thing that that pained me so much was my mother. En één ding wat me echt heeft pijn heeft gedaan was mijn moeder. I was little girl. Ik was een klein meisje. And sometimes my mother's going to the garden I could go with her. En soms als ze naar de tuin ging dan mocht ik met haar mee. In Africa we like singing a lot. En in Afrika houden we ervan om te zingen. We like singing or praise. We houden ervan om te prijzen. We like singing when we are mourning. Zingen wanneer we rouwen. We like singing when we are distressed. Maar ook zingen als we stress hebben. And I could hear my mother sing the song of pain in her heart. En ik hoorde mijn moeder de het lied van pijn zingen in haar hart. And I could see her tears rolling down. En ik zag de tranen uit haar ogen komen. And I could also cry with my mother. En ik kon met haar huilen. But I didn't know what I was crying. Maar ik wist niet waarom ik huilde. But I was just feeling the pain in her life, but not understanding what pain she was going through. Maar ik voelde de pijn in haar leven, ook al wist ik niet precies door welke pijn ze heen ging. Until I grew into adult, that's what I understood the pain of African woman. 
Totdat ik um, volwassen werd en toen begreep ik meer de pijn van Afrikaanse vrouwen. Who had other five co-wives? Die nog vijf andere vrouwen met hen hadden. That had other clan members and society blaming her for every single mistake of her life. Die hadden dat andere mensen in de stam ze uh, de schuld gaven van alles wat er gebeurde en misging in hun leven. I didn't see that only in my mother. Ik zag dat niet alleen bij mijn moeder. But I saw it in the lives of many, many African young and old married women. Maar ik zag het in de leven van heel veel vrouwen, jonge vrouwen die al getrouwd waren in Afrika. But the tears of my mother taught me one thing. Maar de tranen van mijn moeder leerden mij wel één ding. And the suffering of my sister who got married at the early age taught me one thing. En het lijden van mijn zusje die al op hele jonge leeftijd trouwde leerde mij ook een ding. That I will never be like my mother. Dat ik nooit zoals mijn moeder zou zijn. That I will never be like my sisters. Dat ik nooit zoals mijn zussen zou zijn. Not that because they are bad. Niet omdat ze slecht zijn. But just the pain that they were going through in the of unruly and unacceptable society of Africa. Maar puur door de pijn waar ze doorheen moesten gaan, wat gewoon geaccepteerd was in de gemeenschap in Afrika. Which treats women like property, not like human being. Want ze worden behandeld als eigendom en niet als een uh, mens. The culture that look at women as source of wealth. En de, een cultuur die kijkt naar vrouwen als een, als een bron van welvaart. De cultuur die kijkt naar vrouwen als een bron van welvaart. De cultuur die kijkt naar vrouwen als een bron van, uh, van arbeidskracht. Omdat mijn vader zo welvarend was en had een groot land. Daarom trouwde hij met wel vijf vrouwen, omdat zij het land konden bewerken zodat hij nog wel varender zou kunnen worden. So I, I didn't want to be in that society. I didn't want to live that life that is enforced on me by the society, by the culture. Dus ik wilde niet dat leven leiden wat opgelegd werd vanuit de gemeenschap, vanuit de cultuur. And the tears of my mother remain in my tears. En de tranen van mijn moeder verblijven in mijn tranen. And put a burden in my heart. En legden een last op mijn hart. A big burden in my heart. Een grote last op mijn hart. And I said God. En ik zei God. I don't want to be like this. Ik wil niet zo zo zijn. I was only little. Ik was maar klein. I was not even I was not even born again. I was a Christian but I didn't understand the purpose of God in my life. Ik was wel christen, maar ik was niet wedergeboren. Ik wist niet wat de bestemming was in mijn leven. So I said I can't be like this. I don't want it. Dus ik zei ik wil niet zo zijn. Ik wil dit niet. But unfortunately, maar helaas, the tension came, the war. Uh, kwam daar de spanning, de oorlog. I was stuck here. Ik, ik zat daar vast. The tension, the war broke in my country that all my dream like was shattered. Dus mijn, mijn dromen lagen aan diggelen door die, door die spanning, door die oorlog. Because I couldn't reach there. Want ik kon niet naar daar gaan. There was a deep valley here. Er was een diepe vallei ertussen. There was no way I could fulfill my dream if I could not go to school. Er was geen, een, geen manier om mijn droom te vervullen als ik niet naar school kon gaan. All the school was down. Want de scholen waren allemaal gesloten. So my dream was dead. Dus mijn droom was dood. I stayed out of school for close to six years. Dus zo'n zes jaar kon ik niet naar school. Without the school, I was at home. Dus zonder school zat ik thuis. I didn't know what was happening next. Ik wist niet wat er vervolgens zou because gebeuren. 
There was war, there was abduction. Want er was oorlog, er waren ontvoeringen. There was nothing absolutely you could do. Er was niks wat je daaraan kon doen. But in all that I found Christ. Maar in dat alles vond ik Christus. In the bush that I was hiding, I God spoke to me. Dus terwijl ik mij verstopte daar in de bossen, sprak God tot mij. I remember one particular day. En ik en ik herinner me nog één precieze dag. It was in January. Het was in januari. It was physical, it was real. Het was echt tastbaar. The sky was very clear. De hemel was heel helder. There was no cloud. Er waren geen wolken. The grass was silent. En het gras was stil. The bird was silent. De vogels waren stil. But you could only see the sun and the direct sky, no cloud. Maar je kon precies de zon naar beneden zien stralen, geen wolken. I felt the presence of God in my fear. En ik voelde de aanwezigheid van God in mijn angst. And God spoke to me. En God sprak tot mij. That your dream will be fulfilled. Jouw droom zal vervuld worden. That I will never leave you. Ik zal je nooit verlaten. I will always be with you. Ik zal altijd bij je zijn. I feel I felt confident. En ik voelde zelfvertrouwen. I was young, I didn't know what to do. Ik was jong, ik wist niet wat ik moest doen. And I, I couldn't I couldn't interpret the meaning of what God was speaking into my life. Ik kon de betekenis daarvan niet ontcijferen van wat God in mijn leven zei. Because I was in the middle of war. Want ik zat in het midden van een oorlog. I was in the middle of nowhere. In het midden van van niemandsland. But I want to thank God so much that all through these difficulties God was able to pull me out. Maar ik wil God danken want door al die moeilijkheden was After... God lukte het God om mij eruit te trekken. After eight years, I was I was about to go back to school. Na zo'n acht jaar was stond ik op het punt om terug naar school te gaan. I completed my diploma education. Ik heb mijn diploma gehaald. In social work and social administration. In sociaal werk en administratie. But that pain and the burden was still in my heart. Maar de pijn dat en dat was nog steeds in mijn hart. After I completed my studies, dus toen ik mijn studie had afgerond, the war continued in my country. Bleef de oorlog uh, was nog steeds gaande in mijn land. I joined uh, a social work uh, and I started working with the people in the IDP camps. Dus ik uh, begon te werken met de mensen in de uh, vluchtelingenkampen. And as I was working, God sent these one particular girls to remind me of my pain. En toen ik daar aan het werk was, zond God, zond God een meisje wat mij herinnerde aan mijn pijn. She was abducted at the age of ten. Ze was ontvoerd op de leeftijd van tien. So when she was abducted, all her parents, the community was burned down. Dus toen zij ontvoerd werd, uh, was de hele gemeenschap weg. And her community was Verbrand. forced out from their homeland into what is called internally displaced camp. Dus het hele dorp was verbrand. Dus de hele gemeenschap werd geforceerd in, in vluchtelingenkampen. So the entire community of northern Uganda were forced out of their home in the internally displaced camp. Dus alle mensen uit Noord-Uganda die werden uh, gedwongen hun huizen te verlaten en naar dit soort kampen te gaan. So this girl returned with a baby of one year. Dus zij kwam terug met haar eenjarige baby. She was pregnant. Ze was zwanger. When she came, she was put in a rehabilitation center. En toen ze kwam, ging ze naar een centrum voor rehabilitatie. Time to go home, she didn't have where to go. En toen het tijd was om naar huis te gaan, was er nergens waar ze naartoe kon gaan. Because the community were not accepting their own children. Want de gemeenschap accepteerde niet hun eigen kinderen. Because once you abducted, want als je eenmaal ontvoerd was, you are forced to kill somebody close to you. Word je gedwongen om iemand te vermoorden die dichtbij je staat. Once you abducted, you are forced to lead the rebels where other children are. 
Dus als je ontvoerd bent, dan word je ook geforceerd om de rebellen te helpen en te leiden naar waar andere kinderen zijn. So this caused a lot of tension in the community. Daardoor was er heel veel spanning in de gemeenschap. So this girl came over to me. Dus het meisje kwam naar mij toe. I was renting a one-room apartment. Ik huurde een eenkamerappartement. I took her over. En ik nam haar bij me. And I kept her in my house. En ik hield haar bij mij thuis. That girl gave me the journey to start the ministry that I'm doing now. En zij gaf mij die reis die die ik startte in de bediening die ik nu doe. One day I was sleeping and God showed me a dry tree. Op één dag sliep ik en toonde God mij. In a dream, and a dry tree out of a dry tree, it tree it is come out a fresh green big tree. Hij toonde mij een droge een droge boom en daaruit kwam nieuw groen. I didn't understand it. Ik snapte het niet. But something strange happened to my life. Maar iets geks gebeurde in mijn leven. I was in relationship. Ik was in een relatie. And it broke out. En 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 dat brak. Verbrak. I wanted I wanted to die. Ik wilde sterven. I didn't I wanted to commit suicide. Ik wilde zelfmoord plegen. It was so painful. Many of us have been in a broken relationship. We have been in a relationship for 5 years and before you think it is broken and no more. En, en velen van ons hebben het misschien meegemaakt. Ik zat al vijf jaar in een relatie en toen uh, verbrak die relatie en kon ik niet meer. So I move away from the city back into the camp IDP camps. Dus ik verhuisde weg uit de stad en ik ging uh, terug naar die kampen. And I went to the camp at Richard night and in the following day I went to pray. I got my relationship back with God. En ik kwam s'nachts aan en de volgende dag ging ik bidden en pakte ik mijn relatie terug met God. And as I went to pray, I found that very tree I saw in the dream. En terwijl ik bad, zag ik precies die boom die ik in de droom had gezien. And God spoke to me again, this is where I want you to worship me. En en God sprak tot mij en zei, dit is hier is waar ik wil dat jij mij aanbidt. I started praying there every morning and evening. Dus ik ging daar elke ochtend, elke avond bidden. So women from the camp saw me coming to pray every morning and every evening. Dus vrouwen in het kamp die zagen me daar naartoe gaan elke ochtend en avond en bidden. They started to come to praise and worship God every morning with me. Dus zij kwamen om met mijn God te gaan prijzen en aanbidden. Before I knew we are over 10 women. Dus voordat ik het wist waren we met meer dan 10 vrouwen. Before I knew God has planted me in the IDP camp to start this ministry. Voordat ik het wist had God me in het vluchtelingenkamp geplaatst om deze bediening te starten. I had only Bible, one Bible. Ik had maar één Bijbel. So we are sharing the word of God every morning. Dus we deelden het woord van God elke ochtend. Women started to open their their lives, their stories, their situation. En vrouwen gingen hun leven en hun hart en hun situatie openen. And I said, God, this is a fellowship. En ik zei, God, dit is een gemeenschap. And God gave me a name, Christian Counseling Fellowship. En God gaf me dit naam voor Christian Counseling Fellowship. Before I knew, women started coming, and we our number increased up to ten, twenty. Dus voordat ik het wist, groeiden we in aantal en werd tien, twintig. Few months later, there was a big attack in the camp. Een paar maanden later was een grote aanval in het kamp. And because the attack was so severe, so many girls who had children from the rebels, they found their way in the camps. En omdat het zo'n heftige aanval was, kwamen er heel veel jonge meiden die kinderen hadden van de rebellen ook naar het kamp toe. And we started the women that were fellowshiping with them when this girl came, they received them and started providing counseling. Dus wat er gebeurde, de vrouwen met wie ik in gemeenschap stond, toen de, de, toen de jonge meiden kwamen, ontvingen ze ze en gingen ze ze counseling geven, raad geven. 
Dus we groeiden van daar onder die boom. Providing counseling to 40 girls who were released from the LRA captivity. We voorzagen, we voorzagen voor zo, zoveel meiden die um, vrij waren gezet van de LRA uh, rebellengroep. Into a big rehabilitation center that would take care of the girls. In een, uh, voordat ze naar een groot rehabilitatiecentrum gingen die voor de meiden zouden zorgen. From the rehabilitation center after the war. The girls had nowhere to go. Maar na de oorlog, vanuit dat rehabilitatiecentrum, hadden de meiden nergens om naartoe te gaan. They couldn't go to school because they had babies. Ze konden niet naar school, want ze hadden baby's. And God gave me the wisdom and I established a girls school that provide education for these girls and their babies. En God gaf mij de wijsheid en hij zorgde ervoor dat ik een school kon openen voor deze meiden, zodat ze konden studeren terwijl er ook voor kinderen werd gezorgd. That was in 2008. Dat was in 2008. And that was the first school in the country to provide a special school for the young mothers. And that was the first school in the land that sorgde for education for these young mothers. And it became so famous that it embraced all the girls in the country. And it was so bekend that all the girls in the land came to it. The school grew and we enrolled the first girls. The school grew and the first girls were accepted. Before before that we met Pastor Chris in 2006. That's when I met Pastor Chris was 2006. In 2006 ontmoette ik Pastor Chris. And I remember this very word he told me. En ik herinnerde me heel goed wat zij zei. That God will send nations to come and support your work. God zal landen sturen naar jou om jou te steunen, jouw werk te steunen. And today as I stand here to speak to you and share my testimony of what God has done to me. En vandaag terwijl ik hier sta om mijn verhaal te delen, mijn getuigenis over wat God in mij heeft gedaan. It was a prophetic message in 2006. Was dat een profetische boodschap in 2006? I've been to Australia. Ik ben naar Australië geweest. I've been to US. Naar Amerika. I shared my testimony with the United Nations. Ik deelde mijn getuigenis met de Verenigde Naties. I shared my testimony in the house of the Lord in the UK. In een huis van God in in Verenigd Koninkrijk. And God has been sending me to the nation to to speak His goodness in the lives of you know His people. En God heeft mij gestuurd om de goedheid van God te delen met andere mensen. So. In 2008 the school was open. We ran the school for 4 years. Dus in 2008 opende de school en uh, vier jaar lang uh, draaiden we de school. And the first lot of the girls were sent to be trainers, nurses and midwives. En de eerste groep meiden werd gestuurd om uh, de verloskunde in te gaan. Picking up from the video that you watch. Dat zag je ook deels in het, in de video van net. When the girls completed their studies. Toen ze klaar waren met hun studie. They said we want to do the work for our community. Zeiden we willen nog meer werk doen in de gemeenschap. So we opened the maternity center. Dus openen we een bevallingskliniek. And the very girl who were abducted and brought and trained in the school. En die meiden die ontvoerd waren en die later getraind werden in die school. Are the very girls who are working now in the maternity center. Zijn de meiden die daar nu werken. Today, as we speak, we have community outreaches where we're doing maternity center for women and girls in northern Uganda. En vandaag de dag hebben we overal in Noord-Uganda dit soort centrums hebben. The education center is running. Het educatiecentrum gaat nog steeds. It's still taking care of girls. There's one thing which is very important that we want us to know that there is, if the war is over, the impact of 
of war is even more greater in the lives of women than the war itself. En het is heel belangrijk om te onthouden dat wanneer de oorlog voorbij is, dan is de impact van de oorlog zelfs nog heftiger in de kinderen dan tijdens de oorlog. Because the war leaves many orphans and and young children and mainly girls. Want de oorlog heeft uh, heel veel schade aangericht aan, aan jonge meiden ook vooral. Because the war breaks the community and the social fabric that provide protection for women and children. Want het heeft uh, de essentie van de gemeenschap gebroken dat waar juist de bescherming vandaan zou moeten komen voor deze jonge meiden. Today as I speak, rape and defilement is highest in my community. Dus in mijn gemeenschap terwijl ik hier nu spreek is verkrachting nog op de zijn de hoogste cijfers. And we see young girls as young as 14, 15 are getting pregnant because of sexual violence against girls. And we zien weer jonge meiden van 10 tot 15 die zwanger raken door dit seksuele geweld. So the women and girls are still very vulnerable in my own country. Dus in mijn eigen land zijn de meiden en vrouwen nog zo kwetsbaar. So my purpose of coming and my purpose of connecting to women is just how do we connect and support these girls in northern Uganda? Dus mijn doel hier en ook om te delen is hoe steunen we nou die meiden in Noord-Uganda? My purpose here is to raise what is called bathing kits. Mijn, mijn doel hier vandaag is om, om, om geld te verzamelen voor wat wij geboortekits noemen. Because these girls are so young and they cannot have access to go to medical professional medical care just because they cannot afford gloves and and, and, and cotton holes and you cannot go and attend medical services if you are pregnant without those things. En het erge is dat deze meiden geen geld hebben voor de basisbehoeften die nodig zijn uh, om überhaupt gezondheidszorg te ontvangen. Zoals uh, plastic um, handschoenen en um, uh, katoenen wolletjes. Many, many en ze, uh, heel veel vrouwen zitten daar nog steeds vast in. And that's what God is still calling me to do and support many young girls in that situation. En God roept mij nog steeds om, om daarin te steunen en daarin te helpen. And I want to thank particularly Pastor Lisby to allow me to give me the opportunity to come and visit and speak to you. En ik wil Pastor Lisby in het bijzonder bedanken voor deze kans om hier te komen spreken met jullie. It is a divine connection. Het is een goddelijke verbinding. And I know it's for the purpose that today the message that I shared will be a, a, a impacting and healing in one's life. En ik weet zeker dat wat ik nu deel een doel heeft en dat het ook genezend zal werken in iemands leven. Because I know across the world women suffered one thing or another which is sexual violence is 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 a cross is a global issue want het is een wereldwijd issue zoals seksueel geweld you are so blessed and you have opportunity here because you have a support system that help to 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 support the healing process je bent zo gezegend hier dat er wel een een support system is om je te ondersteunen in het genezingsproces but in the north we don't have Maar in het noorden hebben we dat niet. Imagine an orphaned girl of 13 years old getting pregnant alone in the community in the villages without any support. Denk, bedenk je dat gewoon een meisje van 13 zwanger is en totaal geen steun krijgt van de gemeenschap. So uh, I, I just want to end with one thing. I just want to read one particular verse that has been my strong point. Dus ik wil that één is, Bijbelvers met jullie delen wat voor mij heel betekenisvol is. That is Genesis 30, 20, 22. Dat is Genesis. Then God remembered Rachel. Rachel, he listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God, God has taken away my disgrace. She has named him 
En toen herinnerde God zich Rachel en hij luisterde naar haar en hij zorgde ervoor dat zij zwanger kon raken. En ze gaf geboorte aan een zoon en zei, God heeft mijn wanhoop weggenomen en ze noemde hem Jozef. Elke vrouw heeft een pijn in haar leven. And I want us to take this moment. En ik wil dat we dit moment pakken. And I will request Pastor Lisby. En ik verzoek Pastor Lisby. <laughs> Please, we need the healing. Can you come and pray for us? We hebben de genezing nodig. Kunt u voor ons komen bidden? Because I know today God has remembered someone like Rachel. Oh, that's a little bit too bright for our female eyes at this level. Of... Oh, thanks. Um, oh. I look like a rabbit in the headlights. Um, is that right, ladies? A little bit down? A deer. A deer in the headlights, a rabbit in the headlights. So, hey, look, this is not so much a panel, but a sofa chat. Sorry, is the translation happening? Am I right? Can I just keep starting? Okay. So it's more like a chat. So we're going to interrupt each other and just have, you know, what, I, what the purpose of this is, is to look at the beautiful mind and how does the experience in life of Alice and Kelly and Bray, uh, it doesn't matter about me, it's just that it's about these three, you know, the, the, in, in, the, in, the, in, in their heart, in what they do, what do they see about a beautiful mind? What do women struggle with? How do, they, how do we help women grow a beautiful mind in these contexts that we're looking at? So... I want to start with Alice, um, but I want to ask you some fun questions first. So, Alice, name two people that you would most like to sit down and have dinner with. And why? And what would you eat? (laughs) And we know you're going to say something Dutch because, you know, Dutch, no. So, who would you most, who would you like to sit down with, dead or alive? Okay, they could have been gone already. Who would those two people do, and why would you pick them? Okay, oh. okay uh, I think one of the persons that has really inspired my life is Pastor Chris. Um, I met her in 2006, and she met me in a, in a very desperate situation. And she, 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 didn't, she didn't see my despair. She didn't see my condition. She just accepted me. We had like over 250 children in a shattered clothes, you know, one girl has just given birth like 30 minutes before she arrived, and she was just like, oh, she went and hugged this girl, and it just, just, it just embraced my heart, the love she had for people. And I think if I could have dinner with her, that would be the best thing. That Oh. And of course, we love, we love red wine once in a while. In Africa, you don't take wine when you... So flick the food, just eat, just drink red wine. So drink about food, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so. Oh, what uh, would you eat? Uh, what would we eat? What would we eat? I think we would eat Thai chicken, because that is the best thing that I could have in Dutch, yeah? Oh. <laughs> That's what you had for lunch yesterday. Yeah. You had Thai chicken. Thai You'd have Thai chicken with Pasta Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah. And would you do that in Australia, or would you like to do that in Uganda? I think we'd do it in Amsterdam, here. Yeah! yeah. Oh, you say all the right things. Yes, yeah, so we could do it in Amsterdam, and, you know. Yeah. And I think uh, we would really have dinner with you tonight. Oh, yeah, we should do that. You, you just a photocopy of Pastor Chris. He has this love for women and love for people. And, you know, 
I, I, this is me. I feel so humble to have a person like Pastor Lisby. You know, my story is quite unique, but, you know, she's so humble, she's so lovely. And if somebody wants to speak to, you know, in a formal setting, in a very accepting environment, sometimes we feel our background, our story make us so much rejected. But when you see a senior person sitting and, you know, having dinner and drink with you, it makes you feel so God is good. It's our honor, honestly. There's a question that I want to ask you because I really want to know what you've got to say. Like it's, I've been thinking about this question ever since I met you. And it's this, that, that because I'm so, I'm passionate, I am at, I will, I'm so passionate about women finding freedom in their mind. Beautiful minds, that's, it's all birthed out of, it's actually all birthed out of my own insecurity and having to work through that so that my mind is so alive with who I am in Christ. My identity, that I know who I am in Christ, in my identity, in my mind, that I live it out, that there's freedom in my thinking. You know, we have a, our mind is a landscape and we create, we create it how we want. You can, you can have a negative mind, you can have a positive mind. We're called to have a supernaturally empowered mind by Christ himself. And, I, and when, when I first heard you speak, Alice, and I heard you talk about girls that have been raped and, 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 and who were in situations we can't even begin to imagine and what they'd seen and what they'd experienced and that you were ministering, them, ministering to them. I had this question, um, is that they'll come to you and they have come to you with a broken mind, like their heart's been damaged, but their mind, what they've seen, the thoughts that they have about themselves, about how worthless they may feel. How have you and God ministered to their broken minds? What have you done? It may be really simple, but what have you done? Because it's a lesson we can learn from. How have you worked with God to release healing into their, into their mind and into their thought life and what they think about themselves? Uh, I think w- w- one of the most important things is God connection. And I think just God has a great purpose in all our lives. When I started the ministry, I was coming out from a broken relationship. I had a broken heart. I had a broken life. And God put me into this ministry to work with women who have been through hardship that I couldn't even manage, that I couldn't even imagine what they went through because yeah. I, I, missed, I, I, I escaped abduction. But this girl has been through. I mean, there's one particular story that I just want to share with you. This is the girl who was abducted and she spent eight years in the bush. And she had her first child when she was 13. And this is something that I couldn't imagine. And many of you, many women who have been through could not imagine that. You are pushing out the baby and you encountered with attacked with the rebels and you start running without giving birth. And this girl ran, and by the time she realized, she collapsed, and she was unconscious for one week. By the time she recovered, she, 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 developed, she, she had a, a, a productive health destroyed. She developed fistula. She was unconscious, and she couldn't know when she's going to the bathroom. 
everything was flowing out, she had the opportunity to escape. She, her child was buried in the bush. Oh, wow. She doesn't know where her child is buried. The child was buried in DRC Congo, in the forest, in the wilderness. And when she came back to Uganda, the first person to get contact was me. And when she shared that story, my life literally dropped down. And I questioned God that, where are you in this situation? It was so broken. It was so painful. But throughout the way, we went through and we prayed. And we came to terms. And we saw that in everything, like the book of Jeremiah says, uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, that even before you are formed in your mother's womb, I'd already ordained you, I've already known who you are. But at a certain point, the tension that the enemy put in our lives, it, it tends to distract us. But today, as I speak, this girl, Pauline, she's a graduate in the university, and she got first class. She is the pillar of her family. Her mother is the third woman. You know, African culture will never stop these polygamous issues. Today, she's helping everybody in her family, and she's a minister ministering the church. Imagine what God has planned to her, and the enemy want, wanted to take it away. So, you know, when, when I see this story, when I see the lives of girls changing every day, when I wake up in the morning and see their smile, I see God in their face. And that, and that, and that heals my heart, and that heals my brokenness. They are the source of my strength. They are the source of my healing. Waking up and seeing them praising God in the morning, waking up and seeing them smiling and committing their life to God, yeah, yeah. It is, it's a point that makes yeah. my heart strong. And yeah. it sounds like you have been quite intentional about taking them to the Word of God and letting the life of the Word of God and just that sense of, we're going to ask Kelly and Nimmin about praise and worship, but you've, you're not afraid to just take them to the God's Word and say, this is going to bring life to you, are you? And yeah. you've seen that again and again and again. I've seen that again and again. I've seen, you know, I've seen girls who come from the LRA captivity. And they say, no, I want to thank God because I'm alive. Wow. You have many opportunities to thank God too, but this is want to thank God because he's alive. God has brought the person safely. So I see the word of God as a strong foundation in our life and in our healings. Yeah. You know, there's a simplicity to things that you're talking about that we sometimes don't get. Life gets so complicated here and the simplicity of just saying, I'm alive. You know, how many times do we get up in the morning and go, hey, I'm alive today, I thank God. But over there it's, I'm alive, I'm still here. Maybe God's got something for me to do and that simplicity in your mind is really, really powerful. So thanks, Alice. I, I, I want to connect that to worship. Because, you know, you, how long have you been involved with what? No, I, well, actually, no. I want to ask you a question first. Well, no, say, how long have you been involved with worship now? Oh, well, I started um, in worship teams when I was 12 on the drums. On the drums? Yeah. Go on, then. Yeah. <laughs> I'll Maybe blow later. you all away. <laughs> and um, I haven't stopped since I was 12 years old. Since you were 12. So I just turned 37 a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so I literally have 
always from that ingrained in you. Yeah. I've not stopped. You've not stopped. No. And now you're in London. So tell yeah. us what's your favourite place to visit in London. I would say South Bank. I don't know if any of you have been to London, but it's my favourite spot. For one, it only takes me 17 minutes to get there. <laughs> um, London, that's a big deal. Yeah, it, that's yeah. great. Um, train straight to Waterloo. Uh, it's beautiful. There's a nice sort of vibe down there. Everyone's quite cheery, and, and, and no matter what season, it's really beautiful. There's markets, there's food stores, there's buskers. I love hearing some of the street musicians sing. It's the, the talent down there is amazing. Um, you get to see the London Eye, Big Ben, go across Embankment Bridge. It is probably my favourite Have you ever spot. done any busking then? No. I would just take everyone else's money. I couldn't do that to people. <laughs> so I'm a very kind and loving person, so I wouldn't do that. You're so funny. <laughs> You're so funny. Oh, dear. No, so... no. I'll keep it to church. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about church. What is it that you love about being in C3? You've been in C3 oh. for many years. What, what is so sacred for you about being part of this family? Yeah, I think it's been 15 years now we've been part of C3. And it's like what Bree was saying, it's just family. Um, I could, we had a little bit of a dilemma uh, a couple of weeks ago with someone in our, in our church. And um, I was able to call someone in Australia to ask if they knew anything about this particular person. Could they try and help me out? And it really even drew it closer to home about how wonderful it is to be part of a movement to go, I just have support everywhere. Some of my closest wow. friends, actually, most of them are Dutch, which is awesome, um, yeah, are, are, are around the world, all part of C3. The girls that I go to when I need prayer or vice versa, um, Bo's one of those girls, yeah. the border from, and I have Crystal yeah. in Arnhem, and, you know, yeah. and I think that that is so special, and um, coming to, like, our big European gathering, just putting that out there. You plug it, go plug I'll it, plug go it. Plug it is you've got to go. It is something special. And, and my favourite moment is whenever we pray over all the European countries. Just every year that brings tears when there's been a new church plant in another European city and, uh, or there's someone that's just about to launch into that and you just think about the excitement and, yeah. and the, the journey they're about to so entail and the strengths and character, things that are about to come up in their life. It's amazing. It's amazing. Exciting. And Alice, your brother is a C3 pastor, isn't he? Your brother is a C3 yes, pastor I, in, I, in Gulu. My elder brother is a C3 pastor in Gulu, and my sister oh, is a C3 pastor in the village, exciting. where my village comes Divine from. Divine connections. Yeah. <laughs> so good. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. So, Kelly, I had this question connected to last night a little bit, and the, you know, we were talking about, if, if you were here last night, from here to there, the tension in the middle. And I'm thinking big. How does worship help us think big? How does it empower? How does it empower us to see God for who he is, would you say? Um, I think what worship does is it comes and sweeps away all the garbage. And it allows the breath of God to breathe amongst us. And... for him to speak into our world, into that situation. And I think we're missing something if in that moment we can't focus on his throne. Yeah. 
Um, so and that's, that's not necessarily just here in church, that's in our own private worlds. Um, there is so, it's like what Alice was saying, um, singing in the morn, morning, when we're mourning, singing in our happiness, singing in our sadness, because it allows God, it's, it's us surrendering, surrendering yeah. um, everything that's going on and saying, here I am and you can have it. It's, yeah. like, um, it's like a breath of fresh air to our lungs. Yeah. The old goes out and the new comes in. So how do you, how, how, like just saying it out there, in your experience, how do you have to position yourself in worship? What sort of things do we have to do to really position ourselves to experience You that? have to wear leopard print converses. <laughs> You're so sharp. <laughs> Cheeky. Well, she's not going to get away with that, is she? Yeah. Look at no. those. Look, everyone, no. all of you, you've, you're missing something here. Sorry, what was the question again the before question, my naughty the que- response? The Christian, the Christian again. The Christian and the my Kiwi accent. Yeah, Christian. Um, oh. What was it? Always trouble. <laughs> Can you remember? No, how, wh- how do you position, position yourself? How do you position yourself to experience that bigness of God? I just want you to encourage people. Do you know what? I often say, yeah, do I do. This. I say this with some young worship leaders and... Um, and people who struggle to actually enter into the courts, not because of the lack of wanting to, yeah. just how do I focus my attention um, on that? And one thing when I was um, a younger worship leader, because, like I said, I drummed for years and years and years, and then I became a worship leader. And um, one thing that helped me the most was to visualize the throne of God, God on his throne and me in surrender on my knees and worship to him. So if I think of that straight away, I'm there. Um, and so it's a very, very simple thing. It's beautiful. But it will get your focus um, straight away to him. So something like that, I think, is, is the, the way to put your foot first, a foot forward, because we are ticking over just so much in our brains. Or, you know, thinking about, oh, what, what I need to do for the kids and what's happening tomorrow and it can be so hard to switch that off, even amongst the most beautifulest praise and worship with the best worship leader in the world. Um, <clears throat> um, Brooke Fraser. I was talking about Brooke Fraser. Um, Poor Darlene. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Darlene. Darlene, um, if you're listening. But yeah, to focus on that. So if that's something you struggle with, maybe that's all it takes. Is literally just... Um, visualizing God on his throne and, and I just think of this, the smile and the radiance he has over us yeah. when we seek his, his heart and seek his face and yeah so that comes back to the power of the imagination right mm. that yeah, comes back yeah. to where are you choosing what are you choosing to do in your mind because when you, when you worship God it's everything about you yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's uh, you're sacrificing yourself. Yeah, you know, um, to to God, it's your body, it's your soul, it's your spirit, it's your mind, it's everything. That's right. And so, using your imagination, as Kelly yeah. said, to imagine yourself, to see yourself in the throne room of God. For some of you, we may need to draw that at some point because then you yeah. can see it, and then you've got it, and you can enter in. Because everything that we do is invisible. I get, I've been hit by this so much recently. Our spirit life, so much is under, under the radar and, and it, you can't see it. You see the fruit of it. But I can't see my spirit. 
you, 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 you experience it, and I, but, but we have to be women who are in the invisible realm and in the supernatural yeah. realm, but somehow we can imagine it. We can create where we can create space yeah. in our minds. And just right? to come boldly, um, yeah. I think really just let go of that whole thing of I'm not perfect enough. Yeah. That is the, the worst lie that we could ever believe. Right. It's absolutely ridiculous. We, each and every one of you is absolutely worthy enough to worship our Lord. Um, I remember battling this um, at um, a particular point in my um, worship journey of 100 years and um just and it was an identity thing a, a physical identity thing thinking i'm i don't look like all the other worship leaders and everything like that that i see why do i don't you know sorry i get emotional this is like so long ago um it's okay. but it's garbage it's yeah. absolutely garbage if i'd let that stop me back then i wouldn't be here right now that's right kelly um, getting to worship with each and every one of you beautiful ladies. So you really, really, really don't understand that on the other side of that pain, yeah. God is so there just saying, look, just move on for it. Pick up your stuff and move on from it and deal with it because like Brie was saying, it's just not the truth. These lies are so not the truth. Let them go through those metal detectors Place them in the in the value of the word. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. yeah. It's beautiful. Sorry. Awesome. And I just wanted to share with you a revelation that I've had recently about praise. Actually, the power of praise. And I was studying Isaiah sixty-one, uh, where it says He gives us the garment, the cloak, the mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I was meditating on this, and I realized that um, you know that the mantle is is associated with the prophetic. In the Old Testament, yeah. Elijah gave his mantle to Elisha. And, um, and the, the power of prophetic praise, which means that we're speaking the word of God over our situations in praise, yeah. in faith. We're yeah. declaring them in praise, in faith. And the word praise there is singing. It's not just speaking. So it's, it's, and I loved what Alice said before about how they sing everything in Africa. Yeah, they sing when they're true. sad, when they're happy. And there's something powerful about singing it. But when we make it prophetic and we're seeing prophetically over That's our right. situation, right. it actually is, it's a cloak over us. And what it made me think of is Star Wars. <laughs> now I'll explain in a second. So Star Wars, it's all about the shields, right? They've got to have their shields up to protect them in battle. And you know when they're like, is there any Trekkie fans here or Star yep. Wars fans? Okay. And like they're in battle and they're getting attacked and they're getting hit and their shields are protecting the ship from being damaged. But every time they get hit, the shields come down a little bit because they're, they're taking the beating, you know? And so they're like, Captain, we're down at 10% for the shields and everyone's biting really their nails. You have been watching it a lot. I have. <laughs> I know <laughs> oh, I'm a nerd, a Trekkie nerd. And, and they get right, and everyone's biting the nails because they're like, not sure if we're going to be able to keep our shields up. And this is like our, our efforts to stay in the fight and keep our shield of faith up and protect ourselves against the enemy and all of that. But there's a secret weapon. And the secret weapon is called a cloaking device. Mm, and all they have to nice do one. is switch this thing on. And suddenly the enemy can't even see them. That's true. They disappear from sight. 
from the battle completely, and then the enemy is just fighting himself because he can't find them. And so I think there's an incredible power in the garment of praise, the cloak of praise, that when we actually enter into prophetic praise and singing it over our situation, over our future, that it's like a cloaking device where the enemy can't even see us anymore. There's so many examples of it in the Old Testament where praise went out in front of the people and God won the victory. They didn't even have to fight the battle. That's great. And so activating praise is so powerful. I'm stealing that illustration about Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Go for it. I love that. I wanted to ask you a fun question too about how many pairs of shoes you have. I have about over 30. (gasps) It's not excessive, but who I has, just gave four bags has more to Goodwill. Than 30? <laughs> yeah, I know Intan does. Oh my goodness. Oh, are you going to ask the percentage of stilettos? Yes. 99. Well, it's probably about 85 to not, And the rest are wedges. There's really only one pair of flats in my, in my closet. <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> I love that. So. Um, now, you're working in that. We're going to f- finish in a, in a few minutes. I really want to hear what you have to say about you are amazing. You've been in the workplace, marketplace, a long time. And, you know, you're working as a, in, a, in, in corporate and in management. And you must see a lot of um, masks up with women about how they're, you know, that they're, they're masking how they're really doing behind the scenes. Where do you see in, in the women that you are working with and the women you come in contact with, the kind of insecurity and defeat, what they go through in their mind, what does it look like? What, what does it look like when you look at them? What does it sound like, maybe? Yeah. Um, it, it's different in different levels um, yeah. within the corporation, obviously, because you have women in, in high levels of leadership. But um, it's interesting because it's, it's almost like they, when, they're, when they've made it into a higher level of leadership, it's almost like they feel like they're imposters wow. and that they're going to get yeah. found out that they're not really good enough to be there. Wow. And so they're always defensive and they're always comparing themselves and they get offended if um, there's any kind of constructive criticism or if they're not invited to a meeting and, well, they were invited, why wasn't I invited? And, and it's a constant comparison and they're so defensive and they either get really pushy, which turns everybody off, where they're trying to compensate for their insecurity, or they're extremely defensive and emotional and it, no, that turns everybody off as well. So it's these two extremes. They're either acting overconfident or they're fishing for compliments all the time and needing you to reaffirm them. And so, you know, I feel like my role is like as a pastor in the workplace, you know. (laughs) It is, yeah. (laughs) Without them knowing, you know, that that's what I'm doing. I'm always just trying to build them up, encourage them before we go into meetings, um, you know, telling them how amazing they are, you can do this, you've got this, and trying to break off that comparison thing because, That's you so know, if, if I'm, especially if I'm pushed out in front of them sometimes, I want to make sure they don't feel like I'm not trying to take your place, I'm not trying to push you out because they're so competitive. Mm. And, and I think as women, we have this thing of comparison and competitiveness and, you know, social media only fuels that. And so I think, I, the more that I can put myself in, the, in their world and say, I believe in you, 
you know, you're, you're amazing, you are made for this, you're going to do great things, what can I do to help you? Um, without seeming condescending, then, um, you know, the, they come to me when they are struggling so and they, they, they call me all the time and like, can you help me with this? And they know that I'm not going to go tattle on them to their boss that they couldn't do it or, you know, so breaking down those walls where they feel insecure and, and just creating a sisterhood within the workplace where there's, we're, so we're killing the comparison and, and the competition. I love that. And it's what you were saying just now about praise and worship, the power in your workplace I have to do this all the time with people like Monique Yakovs. I don't know, a beer. No, 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 no I'm joking. But <laughs> and in town, you know, um, to speak prophetically over people's lives. Absolutely. Without them knowing that it's the word of God. Right. But it is power, right? Because the prophetic isn't just a prophetic word. It's this is who I see you to be. This is who you can become. And obviously, you're brilliant at doing that. You do that with me. You do that with the people I see you around. So. Thank you. That's a that's great excellent. compliment because no, that's what, that's what I want to be. You are amazing. An encourager. You are. No, I want to thank every woman because every woman on this sofa is very unique. Um, we're, not about, we're not comparing each other. Each one of us has a different background, different story, different country that we're from. None of us are from the same country. Um, so uh, just, I just don't want to give sort, sort of. Oh, Kiwis, Aussies. <laughs> but can you give these three women a huge hand? Because we love them. Thank you so much. Beautiful. That's it. Standing ovation. Yeah. Bedankt voor het luisteren naar deze podcast. Ik wil graag nog een paar momenten van je tijd nemen. Want misschien realiseer je je vandaag wel dat je je relatie met Jezus in orde moet maken. Misschien heb je hem nooit eerder in je leven uitgenodigd. Of misschien ben je om een bepaalde reden van hem weggegaan. En vandaag wil ik je graag uitnodigen om bij hem terug te komen. Of misschien weet je wel niet zeker of je naar de hemel gaat. Ik zou je nu graag in een gebed willen leiden en dat je dit gebed met mij opzegt. Lieve God, ik dank je voor Jezus. Ik dank u dat u voor mij gestorven bent. Ik vraag u dat u mij vergeeft. Ik neem afstand van mijn verleden en ik geef u mijn leven. Kom in mijn leven. Ik dank u dat ik vandaag gered ben. In Jezus' naam. Amen. Als je dit gebed gebeden hebt, heeft de Heilige Geest vandaag iets gedaan in jouw leven. En het zou geweldig zijn als je ons hierover wil vertellen. Dus stuur ons een mail naar info.cdamsterdam.nl Laat ons weten dat je deze beslissing genomen hebt en laat ook je adres achter. Want we willen graag een boekje sturen dat je zal helpen om deze beslissing te bekrachtigen en om een volger van Jezus te worden. We kunnen je ook helpen om geplant te worden in onze kerk dicht bij jou. God zegen je en tot snel.